Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Well, hey, I hope you guys have been enjoying this series and a walk with Abraham. It's been so great. We're going to jump into week four this morning. We're going to jump right into the text, Genesis 16.1. Genesis 16.1, we see this story that we're reading. It reads like this. It says, Sarai, Abram's wife, hadn't yet produced a child. She had an Egyptian maid named Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, God has not seen fit to let me have a child Sleep with my maid, maybe I can get a family from her. How many know this is just not a good idea? This is just not wisdom. And Abram agreed to do what Sarai said. Sarai said to Abraham, God has not seen me fit to have a child. Sleep with maybe I can get a family. And Abram agreed. It's interesting. In between Sarai speaking and Abram listening, I don't see anybody praying. I feel like before a decision this size, someone should have said, pause, let's, let, shouldn't we pray about this? Uh, if you don't already have this in your vocabulary, let me just give it to you. Just make this a regular part of your vocabulary. I need to pray about it first. Okay, just say, I need to pray. Come on, together, I need to pray about it first. Before making decisions, like consulting the person who knows the outcome to begin with seems like common sense. I love what Elizabeth Elliot says about the importance of prayer in these decisions. Prayer lays hold of God's plan and becomes the link between his will and its accomplishment here on earth. Abraham agreed to do what Sarai said, and Sarai, Abram's wife, took her Egyptian maid, Hagar, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as a wife. Abram had been living 10 years in Canaan, when this took place, he slept with Hagar and she got pregnant. When Hagar learned she was pregnant, she looked down on her mistress. Sarai told Abram, this is all your fault that I'm suffering this abuse. I put my maid in bed with you and the minute she knows she's pregnant, she treats me like I'm nothing. May God decide which of us is right. And Abram says, you decide, this is you. Your maid is your business. Sarai was, that's how it ends, was abusive to Hagar and Hagar ran away. How many of you just feel better about your family situation after hearing this story? Why don't you just look at your spouse and say, it's not as bad as we thought it was. <laughs> Week four, I wanna talk to you from this topic if you're taking notes this morning. Don't grow weary waiting on God. Don't grow weary waiting on God. Waiting, waiting, waiting. A true story, a few months ago, my son, John Wesley, had to learn this lesson on waiting. Now, waiting is a difficult lesson for adults to learn. A two-year-old, it was difficult, but let me explain to you why. Maybe you might have some sympathy for him. Him and I had this tradition to where I would leave church, and every day I would leave church for work, I would stop by the gas station with him and grab a pack of Hostess powdered donuts. Have you ever had a pack of Hostess powdered donuts? If you have, you know, you just can't eat one. You got to eat the whole pack. Absolutely. So I'd pick him up and 
he'd get in my truck and I would stop at the gas station and I would eat one and he'd eat like three. And this was just our thing, just him and I. His mom didn't know about this. His mom is a little more health conscious. I remember this was going on for a couple of months and then eventually uh, one morning Rochelle said, hey, I, I, I gotta talk to you. John Wesley keeps asking me during breakfast time for donuts. I said, I don't know why he's doing that. I, have no, I don't know why he's doing that. Joseph, I said, okay, we've been getting donuts every day. He's been eating like three at like 12 in the afternoon, you know. So we decided on a compromise. We decided the compromise would be that he would wait until after dinner and have one donut. That's the compromise. So I had a conversation with John Wesley. He's two at the time, but cognitive enough to understand yes and no. So I just said, John Wesley, no more donuts. Wait after dinner. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. He did great for about a week. Seven days, just strong. He would pick him up from school, wouldn't even say anything about donuts. I'd take him home. After he ate his dinner, he'd say donut. He gets his donut. We found our rhythm. And then one Saturday morning, I'm, uh, I'm watching football, and in my room, I hear what sounds to be the ruffling of a hostess powdered donut wrapper. Now, next to my bed, I have my three George dresser, and at the bottom is where I keep all of my secret snacks. So like any good father, as I'm watching the football game, I immediately just yell across the house because I'm watching football. So I just say, you know, John, John Wesley, are you eating donuts? He says, no. I trust him. He's never lied to me before at this point. <laughs> About two minutes goes later, I hear it again. I said, John Wesley, are you eating donuts? He says, no, sir. About two minutes later, I hear it again, and I get up, and when I walk in the room, this is what I see when I walk into the room. <laughs> he gets that from his mother's side. That is not me. <laughs> waiting, waiting. He didn't want to wait. <laughs> the truth is, this discipline of waiting that I'm talking to you about this morning isn't just something that toddlers deal with. When you read the Bible, you actually see story after story after story in this book of God making people wait. We see it with Joshua who waited for the promised land. We see it with Elijah who waited for rain. We see it for, with Job who waited for suffering to end. Ladies, we see it with Ruth who waited for her husband, which this is a different message for a different topic, but uh, ladies, do you know that you are worth waiting for? Yeah. Good. You're worth waiting for. I was, had a counseling appointment last week with a beautiful, precious 19-year-old girl, and she was telling me how her boyfriend of six months told her that he didn't want to wait, and unless she was willing to compromise in areas of her purity, he was done. I, I told her, uh, if he doesn't have the self-control to wait for you before marriage, what makes you think he's suddenly going to discover self-control to be faithful to you after marriage? <laughs> waiting, waiting. Job waited for suffering to end. Do you see the pattern here this morning? It seems that the people God used significantly, these men and women of faith, all had to go through the same process called waiting. Maybe you're here this morning and you're 
waiting on something. Maybe it's a job, maybe it's an answered prayer, whatever it is. I have an encouraging thought for you this morning that just because you're in a waiting season doesn't mean it has to be a wasted season. In fact, what I've discovered is usually it's in the seasons of waiting that God is refining and developing and cutting on and removing things that don't need to go to the next season. Come on, how many know before marriage, some things needed to be removed before you stepped into that and adding things that desperately do need to go into the next season. It's, 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 it's this waiting period. Isn't this what we see with David? Uh, the Bible says that before David was a king that he was actually a shepherd boy. And when he was a shepherd boy, it was just him on a backside of the mountain with his sheep. And you know what he was doing? He was, he was having target practice with his slingshot. Just shooting birds and shooting squirrels and just sharpening his slingshot, never knowing that one day God was going to place him in a valley and use that same slingshot to defeat a giant. Maybe what we would call waiting, God would actually call developing. Dr. Darius Daniels recently told this great story about this baseball player. He said this baseball player was a stud in high school, just an absolute star. Ended up getting a college scholarship and he goes to college and he's crushing it and finds himself in the majors. And he's, he's just crushing it. I mean, newspapers are writing articles about this guy. He's blowing up. But he's frustrated because his manager is only using him as a designated hitter. So he feels like, man, I should be in a starting lineup. I'm like, I should be hitting cleanup. Like, this is ridiculous. And every time he gets up to bat as a designated hitter, he kills it. Well, the season comes to an end and he decides to leave the team. He signs with a new team, and in this new team, he's in the lineup, and he's hitting cleanup, and he is killing it. I mean, he is, every time he gets at the bat, he's just crushing it. And then one week, he plays his old team. And he goes out to bat, and when he goes out to bat, his old coach pulls the right-handed pitcher, puts a left-handed pitcher in, whispers in the pitcher's ear, and walks off. First pitch, low and outside, strike one. Second pitch, low and outside, strike two. Third pitch, low and outside, strike three. He goes 0-4 in this game. Well, what do you think happens the next game? The next game, the team does the same thing. He gets up to bat. They pull the right-handed pitcher, put in the left-handed pitcher. Now this player's career is tanking. He finds himself in the bottom of the minors and somehow, some way, he runs into his old manager. And his manager said, you thought I was actually trying to hurt you. I was actually trying to help you. I saw an area of your game that needed development and if you would have just waited, if you would have just trusted the process, 
I don't know who this is for this morning, but you might feel like you're in a waiting season. You don't understand why you are where you are. Could it be that God sees something in you that he's trying to develop? Because here's what I've learned. There are moments in your life where God will keep you hidden to make sure that your character matches your calling. Don't fight it, trust it, lean into it. We must trust God in the waiting. I love what Charles Spurgeon says about this word waiting. He says, we will not grow weary waiting on God if we remember how long and graciously he waited on us. We will not grow weary waiting on God if we remember how long and how graciously God waited on us. This morning, I wanna talk to you about three things that we see in this story that happens when you grow weary and waiting. These are three things that happen when you decide to not wait on God. The first thing we see in this story is impatience. Come on, say the word, say impatient. Genesis 16, one through two, the beginning of our story that we're reading this morning. It says, Sarai, Abram's wife, hadn't yet produced a child. She had an Egyptian maid named Hagar. Sarai said to Abram, God has not seen fit to let me have a child, sleep with my maid. Maybe I can get a family from her. In the story we're reading, we see three people. Let me give you some backdrop. We see uh, Abram, we see Abram's wife, Sarai, and we see Hagar. Now, theologians tell us that in this story where we find Sarai, that she would be about 75 years old. This is important to know because she's been holding on to hope for 75 years. Could you imagine praying the same prayer for 75 years? I mean, I've prayed a prayer for three months and felt like, God, where are you? This is 75 years of seemingly unanswered prayer. This is decades of disappointment. It's important that we know the context to this. And Sarai loses her patience with God. And in the middle of her frustration, she has her husband sleep with her maid because here's what I've learned about impatience. Impatience causes wise people to do foolish things. Impatience causes some of the wisest people I know to do the most foolish things. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you decided that you were tired of waiting on God's timing, so you took the wheel? Yeah, he's not getting the job done. I know better, so I'm gonna go ahead and take the wheel. It's impatience. I love what Albert Moeller says patience really is. He says, patience is a Christian virtue which is deeply rooted in the Christian's absolute confidence in the sovereignty of God and in God's promise to bring all things to completion in a way that most fully demonstrates his glory. There's scripture after scripture that communicates the importance of this principle called patience. I'm just gonna throw out three very quickly. Psalms 41, I love this one. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord and he turned to me and heard my cry. That's good news this morning. You find yourself in a season where you're waiting patiently on God. Can I tell you the promise that we have on the back side of this verse? He'll turn to you. He'll hear, he'll hear your cry. Look at this second verse, James 1.4. But let patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting 
nothing. Look at this last one, Proverbs 14, 29. Whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. The first thing that happens when you grow weary and waiting is you become impatient. The second thing we see in this story that happens when you become weary and waiting is you become insecure. You become insecure. Look at Genesis 16, 2. This is what Sarai says. She says, God has not seen fit to let me have a child. You know what's so wild about this? God has not seen fit to let me have a child. Keep that up on the screen for a moment. That's actually not true. Like that's a lie. There's nowhere in scripture where God tells Sarai, you will not have a child. I don't see fit for you to have a child. Nowhere. In fact, the complete opposite of this statement is true. Complete opposite. If she would have just waited until Genesis 17, one chapter, which is another message called You're Closer Than You Think, one chapter, Genesis 17, look what God says. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her new name. I will bless her. And moreover, here it is. I will give you a son by her. So if nowhere in the Bible does God tell Sarai, you are not fit to have a child, then where is she getting that from? She got it from somewhere. Where'd she get it from? It's the voice of insecurity. We all know that voice. It's the voice that always contradicts what God has spoken. You know, that's usually how I know that I've fallen into insecurity. When what I'm speaking becomes louder than what God has spoken, I've fallen into insecurity. See, insecurity in the story says, I'm not fit to be used by God. But God's word says, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Insecurity says, I've made too many mistakes. <laughs> like I feel guilty even sitting in this room right now. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. I made too many mistakes. Second Corinthians five seventeen says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away, the new has come. Can I tell you, this is why it's so important to get this inside of you? Because this is what I've learned. It's not just what God's word says that transforms and changes my life. It's what I believe God's word says that transforms and changes my life. This sitting on my nightstand collecting dust does not transform and change me. When I wake up every morning and I begin to water my heart with the water of the word, that's when I see change and transformation. Maybe the reason we have such a generation that's gripped by insecurity is because we have a generation that doesn't know their word and this is your sword, so every day you're going into battle without your weapon. Can I encourage you to get in your word, sharpen your sword. When the voice of insecurity begins to talk, you will be able to battle. Let me talk to parents for a moment. As I was writing this point of insecurity, I spent almost 10 years in student ministry. You know, every day our kids are hearing the voices telling them who they should be, who they shouldn't be, how they should look, how they shouldn't look, how they should identify, how they shouldn't identify. 
Now more than ever, parents, our children need to be reminded of their God-given identity. And let me tell you this, that's not just the church's responsibility. As parents, it is our God-given mandate to train up a child in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. The second thing we see that happens when you grow weary and waiting is you get insecure. And lastly, as I close, last thing we see is you become irrational. Irrational. Look at the ending of this story. Sarai told Abram, all of this is your fault that I'm suffering this abuse. I put my maid in bed with you and the minute she knows she's pregnant, she's treating me like I'm nothing. May God decide which of us is right. You decide, says Abram. Your maid is your business. And Sarai, this is how the story ends, was abusive to Hagar and Hagar ran away. Irrational. Uh, I, I just need some help just to make sure that I'm reading this correctly. Who was the person at the beginning of the story that said, that God wasn't gonna give her a child? Come on. Okay. Now, who was the person that told their husband to sleep with their maid? And now who's the person that's angry at the husband for sleeping with the maid? I just, I just wanted to be sure that I'm reading the story correctly. It's crazy. This is crazy. This is the definition of dysfunction. This is what happens when you grow weary and waiting and you decide my way's better than God's way. Yeah, my way's better than God's way. This is a picture. Uh, I don't know how many of you have been keeping up with everything going on in Israel. Have you guys been keeping up with that? It's heartbreaking, it's devastating. You know where the genesis of that all started? This story. Quick, just two minutes, hang with me. This child that Hagar gives birth to, the child's name's Ishmael. Ishmael's descendants is what we call the nation of of Arab. It's the Arab nation. In Genesis 17, When God tells Abram, I'm going to give your wife a child, that child's name is Isaac. Isaac's descendants are the Jews. Thousands of years later, there's been conflict and turmoil. Thousands of years later, here's my question. As I was preparing this message, I just thought this. Do you think that Sarai knew when she made the decision, the repercussions of her decision? Of course not. Because here's what I've learned about the enemy. The enemy never gives you the chain. He never shows you the consequence of the decision. Wouldn't that be great if you could press play and see the consequence of the decision and then rewind and then make the decision? He never gives you the chain. He never tells you that when you step out on your marriage that when your son is 22, he's gonna do the same thing because that's all he knew. He never tells you that 
just this little thing you're dealing with in the dark and you're looking at it and no one knows it's going to plague your family and result in a divorce and your children are gonna suffer and it never tells you that, it never shows you the chain. You know what the enemy gives you? A choice. It's not that big of a deal. Just compromise one time, no one knows. (laughs) And then choice by choice, you build your chain. Choice by choice, you build your chain. Maybe you're here this morning and you got a choice to make. And you're right on the edge and you've grown weary waiting on God. I wanna encourage you to surrender this to the person that knows the outcome to begin with. The greatest thing to do when you lose control is to give it back to the God who controls it all to begin with. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I believe there's two groups of people in the room. I believe the first group of people is saying, Pastor, you're talking about growing weary and waiting. That's me. That is literally me. That's where I'm at right now. I've been praying a prayer for so long that I literally feel myself where Sarah's at. I can't do it any longer. I've been praying for this child. It's, it's now hurting me to hold on to hope. It's hurting. How long am I supposed to hold on? that's you, every head bowed, every eyes closed, and you're growing weary and waiting. I want to pray with you this morning because I believe God's going to do something significant in this place. That's you on the count of three, every head bowed, every eyes closed. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand so I can pray with you. One, two, three. That's you. Raise your hand. I want to pray with you right now. Come on, hands up all over this place. Hands up all over. Come on, I see you. I see you. I see you. Hands up all over. You can put your hands down. Father, right now, we surrender our plans to you. Our hopes, our desires, our children, our marriage, we give it to you. The person who's the author of our story, knows every chapter of our book, we surrender it to you. God, I pray right now for specifically parents <laughs> that in exchange for anxiousness, you give them peace. Your word says that joy comes in the morning. I pray for fresh joy for those that have been holding on to a prayer for so long. But they're now like holding on to bitterness. Fresh joy is coming to you right now. Holy Spirit, I pray for those that are so close to giving up. (laughs) So close to giving up. Them sitting here is their last hope. This is it. I thank you that you are the God that still does miracles. You are still the God that takes broken things and makes them beautiful. You are still the God that raises dead things back to life. And I pray that you do it again. Would you do it again? Those that have given up on the race, give them strength to get up and keep running. 
second group here, those that are saying, Pastor, I hear you talking about Jesus, but I don't have a relationship with Jesus. If a personal relationship with Jesus changes everything, I need that. I cannot keep living the way I've been living. I've been doing it on my own. I've been holding the steering wheel of my life. It's crazy. I can't do it any longer. If making Jesus Lord of my life, his way over my way, if that's what changes everything, pastor, I want to make that decision right now. If you're here and you want a personal relationship with Jesus, the most important decision you will ever make on the count of three, I'm just going to ask that you slip up your hand so I can pray with you. One, he's been waiting on you. Two, the time is now. Three, if that's you, you want a personal relationship with Jesus, raise your hand high. Come on, raise him high. Keep him up, keep him up, keep him up. Come on, just you and me looking. Keep him up. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. 21, I see you in the back. 22, 23, I see you in the back. Ma'am, I see you in the back. 24. Okay, you can put your hands down. Church family, can we pray together with those that just made that decision? Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you were the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me, so I would not have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven purpose on earth and a relationship with your father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. God is my father. Jesus is my savior and heaven is not my home. In Jesus name. Amen.